0: Good morning. I'm David Fisk. I'm one of the pastors here in town. Glad you're here with us. We are finishing our uh, series on managing grief, so hopefully you've learned something and you can grieve this next week, as we won't be talking about it next Sunday. Some of you got that. Yeah. Great. Uh, This morning, though, we have uh, an awesome opportunity Uh, when we sent out the survey to the congregation and asked, what is it that you want us to preach on? You know, you said good, good things like books of the Bible. But then you had topics, and grief was the number one topic. I don't know if you know that. I was supposed to say it last week, and I forgot. But grief was the number one topic, and that's why we're doing a series on grief. And I just wanted you to know that, that your leadership listens to you. So another thing that we get to do this morning is to have a video, just to have a a testimonial of someone who has understood what it means to tend to grief and to hurt with grief and to live through it and to continue to move along with it. And so Alice Hatch is going to do our uh, video now that we'll watch.
1: My name is Alice Hatch, and I joined InTown in 1993. I was a missionary in Ecuador for 20 years, Um, and during that time, I worked alongside my husband in in things we were doing as missionaries. My husband had a ministry that took him um, traveling a lot, and uh, he went to Mexico City for a uh, planning session And on the 20th of December, I got a phone call saying he'd had a heart attack and died. They didn't even get him to the hospital. Um, He just collapsed and was gone. Uh, Totally unexpected. Uh, It isn't fun to get that kind of phone call. Three days later, I flew to the States. I had his body sent to where his parents lived and we had his funeral the day after Christmas. One day I would be okay, and then the next day I would be a puddle of tears. Or I might be okay in the morning and then hear something on the radio, a, a song, or you know, some word would be said or something, and I would, you know. I, I came to realize that when they talk about stages of grief, that there was nothing like stages. There were those experiences but they weren't in order. Some days I'd be at the first basic grief experience, and the next day I'd be up, and I, it was back and forth and round and round. There's two different things that we de- that we bring to people when they lose, they experience loss. One is um, comfort, and the other is encouragement. Both of them have a great have a one. They have a gr- good place. They need to be there. But if we give encouragement before we comfort. We discount the pain because encouragement and saying, you can get through this. You're going to be all right. Remember that God's with you. Comfort is holding a person's hand and crying with them because the pain is so great. I knew that God wouldn't be, wouldn't question, uh, wouldn't be upset if I questioned why. But I also thought, you know, that's not a very productive question. So what I came later to understand is um, the question, what for? You know, what is your purpose in this, not why did you do it? Why keeps you looking back. What for pushes you into the future, Or, or you know, you focus into the future? So those are some of the simple lessons I learned, but that were very profound and very and God with me, yes, very much so. Not always feeling him, not always aware of him, but knowing that he was with me. Yeah, walking alongside of people, um, you're going to mess up. Don't be afraid of tears. Don't be, just, just be there and be a friend, you know? And, and don't stop going because it's uncomfortable. Be there. Walk. Remember, if you, walking doesn't mean you're, you're holding on to the person. If you're walking alongside of them. You're being there with them.
0: Mm. I feel like we'll just wait five minutes and watch it again and then go home, right? I mean, like, there's so much richness and truth in that. I loved having her do that video for us. Uh, before we get any further, I wanted to talk to us about the definition of grief, the way that we're talking about it. When we talk about grief, we're talking about overwhelming sorrow from loss, overwhelming sorrow from loss. And we all experience this to different to different degrees. We all experience it in our life, whether it's death, which is the ultimate grief, which is, you know, also you need to look at, you know, have I lost? a physical ability or a mental ability, or did I get an illness or a disease that's not gonna go away? Or did you know, a relationship break and I'm ha- having to grieve that? All these different things are things that we grieve over. You know, the, the dying of a dream. You know, what are you wishing that you could major in in college? And then you realize like, oh, I'm terrible at biology. You know, like you can't do it. You have to grieve that. And grief really does turn your life upside down. I mean, Alice didn't talk about that very much, but it really does. Like, it just changes your whole trajectory. And um, what I want us to understand, I've I've said this all four weeks, is I want your biggest takeaway to be we are not solving grief, we are tending to grief. Tending, like we're caring. We're caring. So of course they said, David, why didn't you just name it tending to grief? That would have been a lot smarter. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That my bad. So um, the way that we tend to grief, we've been talking about how and why we do it through the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more today and talk about the goal of integ- the goal of grief, which is integration. Integrating this new newness into your life, something you learn to like Alice said, you live alongside of and something that you integrate into everything. So James is gonna come and read for us now two passages.
2: Today's scripture readings come first from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts Be glorifying to you. Thank you for your word that we can see what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, and what you will do for us. Lord, would you be here and be amongst us, work in our hearts so that we might be transformed and changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2013, I read a story or I saw a story about a a woman who experienced grief this woman had her parents die when she was very young. She uh, had a sister, but her sister rejected her and didn't want to be with her. Um, she was very lonely growing up then. And because of that, she got engaged too fast to a guy and didn't really know his struggles and you know skeletons in the closet, didn't know that. And over time, like her home didn't feel like a home and then finally her sister abandoned her. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like how much can this woman take, right? I mean, that's so much grief that you have to deal with. She experiences so much of it, so much of this overwhelming sorrow from loss. So is she helpless? What would you say to her? I hope that you would say, I want to solve your grief, <laughs> right? Like, we would hopefully not say, you know, grief is, grief is just something that we're going to solve. No, grief is not a problem to solve, right? It's a natural process. We need to tend to the grief by leaning into the gospel of Jesus, okay? But I think too many times we don't do that, right? Like, we take control, and I'm going to take care of this. Or maybe we just say, you know what? I'm going to put my hope in someone else, because my spouse is very capable, and she can, like, fix anything. Um, Maybe you put it in a friend. Uh, Maybe you hope that Jesus is going to just repay you for the bad things that have happened and the good deeds that you've done, right? Or maybe we put our hope into something else like, oh, you know, it just, it is what it is, and I'm going to be apathetic and a bit callous about it, because then my heart will be protected. Right? We do that too. Or we're like the overachiever who's like, I will tend the heck out of this grief. I'm like, you wash. <laughs> right? Like, we don't do that. And what I want us to talk about today is how we have hope in something. Last week we talked about how we have to have hope in an object. You have to have the object. And how our hope is going to be in Jesus. And we're going to use a tool that my Yoda gave me, and I think I might have used it before here once. Um, It's called Memory, Presence, and Vision. Memory, Presence, and Vision. And you might say, do you mean past, present, and future? I would say, stop killing my intellectual vibes. Like, I'm trying to sound smart here. Memory, Presence, and Vision. So first, memory, right? Memory, what has God done for us? Well, if you look back at Genesis 1 and 2, you see creation and how things were all good and everything was right and it was supposed to be that way, and yet humanity rebels against God and brings in sin and death into the world, and that's the story that we live, right? We live in this story where God doesn't say, okay, you send. I'm done with you. He says, I'm going to provide you a Messiah in Genesis 3.15, and the Messiah is going to come to save. And if you think about before the fall, Genesis 1 and 2, if things were the way they were supposed to be, we were not created for death. We were not created for grief. That's why we don't know how to deal with it. That's why we don't know how to talk about it. It's why you can't solve someone's grief. right? We weren't designed that way. And what I want us to see is how looking back can actually help us. Let's look at verse 9 of Isaiah 25. It says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. They have waited past, right? It says it two times for emphasis, and he's showing that they're waiting for God to save them, and then God does. So they're waiting, looking back at God and his faithfulness, and trusting, okay, he's done this in the past, he's going to come through. I can trust him, I can put my hope in him. You also see in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, We do not want you to be informed, he's talking to the Thessalonians, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now see, the Thessalonians had a mistake in their understanding of death. They thought if you died before Jesus was resurrected, you missed out. Right? They thought, oh my gosh, you know, if my wife dies before Jesus was resurrected, then I'm left alone, and even when I get resurrected, she won't be. And so the Thessalonians were mixed up in their theology. They were mixed up in their understanding just of life. and. It's, again, it's not bad to grieve. You want to grieve like they have, but you want to understand the truth. You want to understand what is it that Jesus and God have really done, and how is the Holy Spirit really working in me? And we want to grieve with hope because we have hope in something, okay? We have hope in something. And you see it in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, "'For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again,' Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So you see this promise to the Thessalonians would have comforted them right then. Like, oh, all of them who've gone to sleep? That's another way to say die. Uh, All of them that have gone to sleep? Yep, all of them who believed in Jesus. Right? You put your hope in Jesus. He died and was risen again. And it's why we have hope now. And so we remember where we are in the story, looking back and seeing what God has done, how he has provided for us, how he has helped us, how he has helped us tend to our grief and not leave us in it. And you see, the resurrection of Jesus, his death and resurrection, was at the very center of God's plan. It's at the very center of God's plan, and Jesus was raised, and he defeated sin and death, but he hasn't come back to claim the victory yet. So as Luke mentioned this earlier, we're kind of in this already, not yet, this in-between, like Jesus got the win, but he hasn't come back to celebrate it yet, you know, and it's, we're in between. And so we're still in this redemption phase that's a process, and so we're trying to hold the pain and the grief alongside the grace and the kindness of God so that we might be transformed so that he might meet us in our pain and in our loss and in our grief. So that's memory, okay? Presence. What is God doing now? You know that we live in a fallen world, but it is being restored, and that's why you see goodness, and that's why you see beauty and grace in the world, while you also see things that are not the way that they're supposed to be. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, I think you can acknowledge that there are things in the world that should not be happening. That are not what would what is good. It's just things that are happening that are bad. But there is goodness too. There is goodness. And I I feel like tending to our grief is so counterintuitive to especially to our culture. Because our culture is like just hurry up and get it over with. Like get that get that pain out of here. You move on from it or you push it way down, right? trying to keep that beach ball under the water, right? Don't move, because it might slip out, and your grief comes flying out somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah, how we try to get rid of the pain so quickly, and I'm going to read this quote. It says, pain is an inextricable thread in the fabric of life, and to tear it out is not only impossible, but destructive. Attempting to tear it out unravels everything else with it. That's a non-Christian writing. And he knows that pain is part of life, that pain and grief are always gonna be in our life. But you see in verse 13 how they're saying, look, we don't want you to be uninformed. You're grieving without hope, but the truth is all of these dead people, they had faith in Jesus. And so when he was resurrected, they're still gonna be united with him. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're united with him in his life, and his death, and his resurrection, right? And once we're united with him, it means that we have hope in him to tend to our grief, to help us in our pain, to remember what he's already done for us on the cross and in the grave. And so we think about, all right, well, how do I tend to my pain presently well alice alluded to this but you need a you need a squad right like you need companions you need a a confidant you need confidants who can help you by seeing your pain and by hearing your pain and by understanding it okay and even if it's just people who will just come sit with you, that's what you need. And, on the other side, that's what you can do for people who are grieving. You can just sit with them. That's all. That is actually encouraging. That actually is helpful because relationships are vital to, to make meaning. And I love what Alice said about uh, comfort and encouragement, right? Right? You comfort the pain and you encourage for hope. But if you skip over, if you skip over the comfort part and just go to encouragement, you've missed the chance to talk about the pain. And so, tending to grief, we're acknowledging that pain before we move on to encouragement. Okay, so that idea of comforting as well as encouraging—I love the way she did that. I'm stealing it many more times. But it's, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, it's something comforting to have a friend who can validate your pain. It's something comforting to have someone who will sit with you when you're hurt and you're crying and doesn't ask a million questions or tries to quote the Bible to you and just says a lot of empty platitudes. Like, I don't want that. I want someone to just sit with me. And if you need to be, you know, quiet, that's fine. But I also want to talk to you too. And see, i got to say, we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to be honest with God, even if that is raw emotion, even if that is, I'm so angry at you. We go to God no matter what, even in the midst of raw emotion. And we have to remember that He's always at work. And if He's always at work, That means that we need to tend to our pain, and he's going to work with us. We're going to tend to our pain because we don't want to bypass the opportunity for Jesus to meet you in that pain. If you're down here and you never tell Jesus that or never acknowledge it, he's never going to come down here with you. You have to acknowledge it. You have to, to be honest with God so that he can come and provide healing, right? Not tending to the pain, it bypasses the opportunity for you also to develop empathy. If you don't know what it's like to hurt, how are you going to help hurting people? If you don't know what the gospel hope is, how are you gonna encourage other people with it? And so not tending to it bypasses the opportunity to develop empathy, and lastly, I would say not tending bypasses the opportunity for connection with God, connection with Father, Son, and Spirit, okay? And so that's presence, and so now we get to vision, okay? Memory, presence, vision. Memory, present, vision. As we're looking forward, what has God promised to do? We see in verse 14 of Thessalonians, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see that he's comforting the Thessalonians and saying, hey, look, this thing that's going to happen, God will resurrect them too. And see, it's here that you see a future promise shaped present practice. This future promise affects how those Thessalonians thought about the resurrection. Well, you and I, when we have these future promises of God that we can hold on to, it affects us today. It affects us day to day. Because look at, look at this promise that God says, one day, someday, the world is going to be like this in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all His peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Like, we're going to feast together. Isn't that going to be awesome? Let's see. Uh, Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. Now, you have to understand this veil, this covering... Is evil. This covering is sin. And so he's saying, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get it all the way out of this world, and then you'll get to experience it. In verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away their tears from all their faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, he's saying, I'm going to swallow up death forever. I'm going to swallow up death. And what he's saying here is all these different things of, like, we're going we're gonna to feast together perfectly. We're going to um, have the, the, the curse of sin removed from the world perfectly. And we are going to have our tears wiped away because He is going to swallow up death perfectly, perfectly. And we experience that, and we have a world like verses 6, 7, and 8. I mean, we're called to create a culture like the kingdom of God. We say, you know, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Well then that means we need to be building a culture of grace, a culture of kindness, a culture of love, a culture of transparency, of honesty, of people who can admit, I'm hurting, I don't like this, I'm struggling, will someone come help me? And I can come help you and I'm not gonna judge you. Like, What if we created a culture like that and in town was known in the, in the city as that church? Yeah, they're the ones that are actually, like, vulnerable with each other. You know, I think that would be an attractive thing for us. But like I said earlier, future promise shapes our present practice because we know if the end of all things is verse 6, 7, and 8, well, then you know where the story's going. You have the ending And even though things might not be going the way that you want them right now, even though there's lots of grief and we're tending to our grief, we know what the end is, and we can hope in that and trust in that. It will happen because God promised it. God promised it. Now, in verse 8, he talks about how he's going to swallow up death forever. He's going to wipe away all tears from their faces And then it says, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The reproach of his people, I had to ask Siri what that was, and disappointment or disapproval. So that means God is going to take away any disappointment or disapproval, and that will not be in our world anymore. No shame. No contempt for yourself. Like, it's all gone. And that's the world that we get to live in. And that's exciting, and that's something that we can put our hope in and put our trust in. The ending of the biblical story is going to be full restoration where, these, where the world is full of perfect relationships. And see, the reality is right now We live in this reality that has hope and grief, right? It has pain, loss, but it also has goodness. But one day, someday, we're going to have a different reality where there is no more pain or loss. It's all gone. And grieving won't even be like a possibility because everything will be right. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be, and you will be full and whole and completely content. Content. And I don't know if you saw in verse, uh, in the three verses, six, seven, and eight, he said all the, w- the word all five different times. All the people, all the people, all the people, right? And see, all the people, they thought, oh, only these certain people will get saved. And, he, and God's going, no, I'm going to save people from every nation, from every country, from every tribe, from every tongue. I will save them. They can have the gift of salvation, and they also have the promise of no more evil and no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more disappointment. And these promises give us confidence in God. These promises give us an assurance from Jesus. These promises provide us with an anchor of hope in the Holy Spirit. So we get all of those things. And I would say, you you want this day. You long for this day. You were created for this day. And one day, someday, we will be there. Your grief, your hurt will not last forever. One day, someday, God will make it all right. So that's our vision. And I'll just finish with this. Thinking about memory and presence and vision and thinking about this woman from 2013 that I opened with, um, practically, I'm like, well, what should she do? Well, the advice that I had when I was grieving was you do the next thing. I read some poem about her or something, I don't know. But you do the next thing. And you go to someone where you can acknowledge your pain And you can go to them, and they'll know how to tend your grief. They will know how to care for you. They will know how to carry your grief with you. They will know how to love you in that way. Right? Tending to your grief solidifies your connection to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. We forget that oftentimes. But we go to the Father who has empathy. Because he is a God who knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows what it's like to lose a prized possession. And he knows what it's like to get betrayed. And he has empathy. We go to Jesus the Son who understands abandonment. Right? He knows isolation. And yet he's the one who died and rose for us and shows us kindness we go to the Holy Spirit who validates and comforts, and His presence is always with us, even in our grief, even in our grief. God is always at work. You might not see it. You might not feel it. You might not believe it, but it's true. He can't be authoring a story and taking a break, right? Like, He has to keep going, he continues to work even when you don't feel it, even when you don't, sometimes even when you don't want it. He is always at work. He's always doing something to build his kingdom. So there's a quote by Elie Wiesel that is one of my favorite quotes. I had to get my wife to explain it to me, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Hope is a memory of the future." And I was like, what is, what is this? One of those little paradox things? Like, what's going on here? Becca, help me. But she was, she was helping me understand that this idea of hope is a memory of the future is like today we can look back at what we can hope for. We look back to go forward because we've been promised this future, this vision, So with memory, you do remember what God has done. You see how as a creator and a father and an author, how he sent the Messiah and promises resurrection. You see in presence what God is doing through the Messiah, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and his first coming, and how you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in you working to make you flourish even when things are hard. The Holy Spirit is working to create wholeness, to help you tend to your grief. And then with vision, you see what God will do through his promises, how he promises to send the Savior again, how he promises that he'll save all nations and all tribes, how he promises that one day, someday, this is going to be our reality where you have full healing and no more grief. But until that time, we have to continue to tend to our grief. And we can use memory, presence, and vision as a reminder of us when we're tending our grief. And when we tend to our grief, we have to put our hope in God. We have to put our hope in Father, Son, and Spirit because of what He's done, because of what He's doing, and because of what He's promised. Memory, presence, vision, so that you can tend to your grief. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You that You don't leave us on our own. Thank You that You pursue us, even though we rebelled against You. You pursued humanity, and You didn't leave them on their own, You provided a Messiah, a Savior who would come, who would live a perfect life, who would die and be resurrected. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to tend our grief, that you will provide comfort. Help us to acknowledge our pain, but also to be encouraged to see through the memory and the presence and the vision of what it is that you have done and what you are doing and what you will do one day, someday. Amen.